0: Hello, hello, this is Jonathan, and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And if you're a new listener to the show, special warm welcome to you. I really appreciate you tuning into the show. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. I appreciate it even more. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Anthony Zhang, The co-founder and CEO of Vinovest. Vinovest is an online platform that allows investors to invest in an interesting asset class, namely fine wines. Once your portfolio has grown to a certain size, it may be interesting to protect it even further with uncorrelated assets such as wine. An uncorrelated asset means an asset that does not follow the same trend as a traditional stock market. Anthony will share why he believes investing in wine makes sense, How we can access this particular investment, what the expected returns can be, some market trends, and we will of course discuss the risks and if this investment could be right for you. This episode is for you if you're interested in diversifying your investment portfolio with alternative assets and or if you're curious about how investing in wine works in general. So, provided that you're not driving your car right now, I would recommend you open a bottle, pour yourself a nice glass of wine, sit back, relax and enjoy the interview. Hello, Anthony. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing great. Thank you very much.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Glad to have you on because today we are going to talk about investing in a particular asset that is actually less liquid than it looks. It's wine. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Because you are the founder of uh, Vinovest, a company that allows uh, retail investors among others to invest in that particular asset. So um, maybe uh, you can introduce yourself uh, briefly and share why you uh, started your company, VinoVest.
1: Absolutely. So um, one of the co-founders and CEO of VinoVest, as you mentioned, we help retail investors get access to fine wine as an asset class. Mm-hmm. And the whole reason I got into this was about, about five or six years ago. I had just sold my first company and uh, you know, was looking to put that money to work and invest. And I became very interested in alternative assets. And one of them was fine wine. I think I remember reading an article in the Wall Street Journal saying how fine wine returns have actually beaten out S&P 500 returns over the past 30 years. It had Mm -hmm. a little over 11% annualized returns and had very, very little volatility during that time period. So that immediately just caught my eye. I was like, wow, you know, something that beats the market. Um, something like wine, which I, you know, generally understood, you know, as it gets older, the wine ages and appreciates and gets better. Um, and then also as it gets older, this is an asset class that is not only fixed supply and growing demand. It's actually decreasing supply and growing demand because as you drink more and more bottles from a particular year, you, you know, there's less and less of it in the world. So from a fundamental standpoint, it made a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, if I'm not good at picking the right wines to invest in, at least I've got a bunch of nice wines to drink at the end of the day. (laughs) So there was a little bit, you know, there's a little more downside protection than investing in a stock, right? That could go to zero. So I got really excited, you know, did a lot of research and I was like, all right, let's get started investing in wine. What I realized very quickly was that you needed to be very, very connected or either very, very wealthy to get started because... Uh, working with high-end wine brokers or going to auctions was very costly. Um, you know, there was a lot of minimum balances that you needed to keep. And then also I didn't have any wine storage. So I had to figure out how do I be able to get the perfect climate and temperature? How do I get insurance on these assets as well? And um, I realized that you really need to be uh, very, very wealthy to even get started before you can even buy a single bottle of wine. And to me, you know it just didn't really sit right with me, right? There's this asset class that's very high performing. I wanted to get access to it, but I couldn't. Um, and I wanted to create an easier way for myself and for potentially others to do the do something that many ultra wealthy people have been doing for decades, even centuries. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really how the idea of you know best became
0: okay that that's interesting, and I, I really like it because you you see something and then you act on it. so, so that's something I, I appreciate. but why wine and not, for example, maybe blue chip art or uh, another type of uh, alternative investment, other collectibles? I don't know if you like cars. Uh, why wine?
1: I think wine, um, especially when you compare it to other sort of collectibles or exotic asset classes, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's, it's a lot easier to understand and value, right? Wine has utility mm-hmm. um, and something like art or a car. Um, it stays the same, right? It's a piece of art. It's going to be a piece of art. A uh, bottle of wine actually gets better, right? And mm-hmm. um, it also has, I think, greater fungibility. So even the most rare wine producers, they're still making, you know, a couple thousand bottles a year. So it's very easy to be able to value, all right, this bottle is equal to the value of this bottle, right? There can actually be a real market for it. Mm-hmm. Whereas for a piece of art, you know, it's a market of one, right? One person, one buyer decides the price. Um, so to me, it just didn't really seem very accurate to value. And same with the the, the car space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a collectible car is just so unique at that point where there's only one of it or maybe two of it in the world. And, you know, they're probably in greatly different conditions. So I just thought from just a fundamental standpoint, wine was something that was much easier to value from a technical standpoint. And also just being a lot more interested in in drinking wine. That's also <laughs> what drew me to it as well.
0: Yeah. And talking about drinking wine, it's uh, something I like to do myself, drink moderately, of course, but um, I I really like to enjoy it. And uh, it's something, uh, I went to some uh, wine tastings, uh, some courses, Uh, it's very interesting, I enjoy it. But then it's a whole lot, you know, you have all the regions um, in Northern Italy, in France, here and there, even in the Mm -hmm. Napa Valley. I mean, it's it's huge. And then you have uh, New Zealand, I don't know, you know, it's... You can produce wine almost everywhere in the world. So where, where does one start? I mean, of course, you have the big names of Bordeaux, the the, the wine of Tuscany, uh, I mean, the Champagne, uh, everything. So where does one start when it comes to investing? Is that different than um, the, the famous wines that you find at the restaurants or at your local uh, wine shop?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, right? Because... Wine in general can be intimidating to a lot of people, right? You go to a restaurant, mm-hmm. you see this massive wine list. You're like, where do I start, right? Yeah. Imagine someone looking from an investment standpoint, where there's even less information. Um, so, I think the best way to kind of start is to think of it in terms of stocks, right? Just like, just like the stock market, there are your like blue chip, you know, your apples or Amazon's of the world, and that's going to be your Bordeaux's and Burgundies. Um, You know, these are regions that are very well-established. They've been around for hundreds of years. And you can also see price history for hundreds of years, right? You can see what this bottle that was produced in the year 2000, what it's year five appreciation, year 10 appreciation, year 15 appreciation looks like. Um So it's very, very stable. So I really recommend most people, you know, if they're just um, looking to start out, stick with the regions like France and Italy. Um, you mentioned Champagne, Rhone. Tuscany, Piedmont, those are all, I think, very classic regions that have producers with very strong track records to Mm -hmm. start out with. And then there are your equivalent of emerging markets, right? You mentioned New Zealand, some parts of California, maybe even Chile. Um, These are all newer regions that are gaining a lot of popularity, um, newer producers, and those can potentially have higher growth rates than your larger, more established producers. So Mm -hmm. when we are looking at investing in wine, we want to look at the track record of producers, same thing as like the track record of a large public company, right? And then depending on how much risk you're willing to take on or how aggressive you want to be with your approach, you can then decide how you want to allocate your portfolio, right? Is it it 50-50? Is it a 60-40 split? Um, And you can even diversify into the wine market just like you're diversifying into any other asset class.
0: So what are other aspects to look at? So history, what what makes a wine a good investment, actually? Because is it really only the region and it ages well? Can you guide us a little bit through that?
1: Of course. So I think at the core, it is the supply and demand. Mm -hmm. right? If if there's going to be more people wanting to drink it than the Chateau or the winery can produce, that at the core of it is what drives the market dynamics. And the fact that, you know, a lot of these wines, they're really produced and meant to be aged for 10, 20, 30 years before they really reach their peak. That's what leaves people wanting to hold on to them, right? And then either drink it or sell it in the future. Mm-hmm. So supply and demand, the ageability. And then, of course, there's the, the brand equity, right? Um, you know, why do people value a, a wine from Bordeaux more than a wine from, say, a smaller place in france like the loire valley it's really because of the prestige and the marketing and the history Mm -hmm. behind this particular producer that story that they tell so those are the things that we look out for and those are the things i think make sense in terms of fundamentals for looking for good investments Mm -hmm. on the wine world
0: yeah and something i've been wondering myself i remember when i was a kid with my parents and you know we held some bottles in the in the cellar but then okay, my my father knows a bit more than me, but so he said, okay, yeah, let's drink this one in five years, or let's drink this one in 10 years, not as an investment, but as a wine aficionado. But uh, as well, isn't there a risk if one keeps uh, wine for too long? That's where I want to go to. I mean, isn't there a a time where wine becomes very good, like it peaks in taste, in quality, and where it then uh, goes down?
1: Absolutely, right? Because wine is a it's a living thing, right? It it evolves and ages in the bottle and you know, it certainly has its kind of peak drinking years. The interesting thing about it is that it's not just like an expiry date that you see it at a supermarket, right? Like not like <laughs> yeah. after February 22nd it's completely gone. It's a very, very gradual process and also it's it's quite subjective as well, right? Some people have a taste for older wines, some people like it when it's on the younger side. Um, but that doesn't really matter because from a price standpoint. You know, it it definitely ages very, very gradually for, say, first 10, 20 years. And even after its peak drinking window, say a wine is uh, 40 years old, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's probably not at its best from a drinking standpoint. But at that point, it kind of evolves from being maximum utility to maximum collectability, more like a trophy item, right? Because at that point, it's so rare. It's a piece of history that people want it purely for the scarcity aspect for it that's why you see at these auctions right you see bottles from you know the 1940s the 1960s they're definitely not at their best anymore (laughs) but they're going for hundreds of thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. because they have some sort of value to that end user Um, so from a pricing standpoint um you know it's it's pretty interesting that that kind of shift in in the end user mentality when they're looking to buy and the demand that we see Mm
0: -hmm. okay see and then i'm wondering as well as an investment is there a, a specific return one can expect? I mean, in the stock markets, we usually say it's 7 to 8% growth. I mean, if you look at the S&P 500, so people kind of base their assumptions on that. Is there some kind of indicator for that as well for, for wine? Because I have no idea today how much my, my wine uh, investment can grow to.
1: Yeah, so the uh, the comps that we're seeing, at least for the past few decades, had between 10 and 12% annually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty stable. You can actually track something called the LiveX 1000 on, you know, on Bloomberg or on routers. You can see the ticker there. And that's what usually when financial reporters talk about, oh, the fine wine market is doing well or not doing well. That's what they reference. And the, that's the benchmark that we aim to beat.
0: Okay. So, so then it, it, it makes quite an interesting, I mean, if it's about 10 to 11%, it's a great diversification asset actually
1: totally you know it's uh i think one of the most attractive things is that it's not very correlated with the market Mm -hmm. you know because good times or bad times people are going to be drinking perhaps even more in bad times and that (laughs) is what really um you know really spurs the market right like last year Mm -hmm. our average investor made 17.83 percent returns Mm -hmm. of course everybody's stuck at home right they they need a little bit of wine to to keep Keep themselves sane, and even with all the restaurant closures, right? Like we're seeing people still wanting those um, those fine drinking and dining experiences just at home. So we've seen really an explosion of interest.
0: And let's say, Anthony, I'll, I'm interested. I'm like, okay, well, it's pandemic time. I have a bit of time of my hand. Let's start a wine cellar for myself. Let's start my own investment. As, a, as just for myself, I go to the store, I buy the bottles, I think, based on my research, will uh, appreciate over time. Is that uh, the, the approach that you would recommend or um, and what should I pay attention to, actually, if I start to do that?
1: Absolutely. So I would say definitely do your research. Mm-hmm. And one important thing is that like if you are going to treat this as an investment and keep it in your own home, mm-hmm. the wine storage and insurance is very, very important, Right. So you want to make sure that you have the right temperature, right climate control, uh, keep it away from sunlight, keep it away from vibrations, because when you are selling it in the future, the condition is going to be the most important thing when people look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, they will actually devalue your wine knowing that it came from a private residence, because it's really like, you know, he said against she shed, right? Like you could say that your wine was in perfect condition, mm-hmm. but there's really no third party that can trust. So that's why, um, you know, when you're selling your wine as an individual versus selling it through, um, you know, a professional storage facility, you're going to see a pretty big difference in the Delta of the price that you can resell it for because of that trust factor. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one thing to consider. And then the second thing is on, on the risk management side is insurance, right? Say you have 10,000 euros worth of, worth of wine in your, um, in your home and, say the power goes out, right? Or say you move, right? How, how can you actually protect those assets that are very, very fragile? So you want to be able to have insurance, an extra policy on your home, or, you know, if you are storing it professionally, make sure that they have a very, very strong policy that can protect it against market value, right? If someone drops it, or if the power goes out, or if, you know, something else happens to the warehouse facility, you want to really be able to have similar level protections Mm -hmm. with other investments that you're owning so you know you know the stock market has your fdic protection right and i think in the wine world it's really really important to have the storage and the insurance component because those are the two main things that can damage the value of your wine right if it if it's too hot it's going to turn into vinegar and it's going to be worthless
0: i see so so that's uh, very important so then that's why people i mean mostly high net worth ind- individuals then invest through uh, institutions then to uh into those uh, uh i mean particular wines or special uh high valued wines then
1: exactly right either they have the the means to make the perfect seller at home themselves which could cost you know a hundred two hundred thousand dollars or they trust an institution to take care of it all for them um, and unfortunately these institutions you know they're usually just for private clients only right you need yeah, yeah. a certain amount of money with the bank to even get access to an opportunity
0: yeah. like that mm-hmm. okay and then uh, of course then for us there is luckily vinovest but let's <laughs> i want to ask a few questions before we, we go to your company yes so so I, I was wondering um do you have any idea of uh, the trends of investing in wine all over the world i mean do you know if it's a popular as more popular asset class in, in the u.s or in the in Europe or in Asia, maybe.
1: I definitely say, in terms of um, the popularity, it's you know, it really started in Europe, right? Still, most of the world's best wines are produced in France, in Italy. So that's really, I think, where everything is is centered around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also just given that wine is a much bigger part of everyday culture in Europe, it's uh, it's much easier for people to grasp that opportunity and understand it um secondly i'd say in terms of growth it's definitely in asia right um there's a booming booming Mm -hmm. sort of middle class getting into upper class people coming into a lot of wealth and they want to enjoy nicer things and with that it's food and wine right and a lot of um a lot of the demand that we're seeing in the market for fine wine is is from newer asian buyers united states is actually still the largest market in the world for wine consumption but Uh, If you think about it on like a per capita standpoint, it's it's actually not as much as Europe or Mm -hmm. Asia. So that's kind of what we're seeing in the market in terms of demand. And, um, you know, there are big global events that can actually shift those. So, for example, a couple of years ago when uh, President or former President Trump put the tariffs on European wines, 25% tariffs on most French wines, excluding champagne, Mm -hmm. um, all all wines from Germany, all wines from Spain, but then curiously, excluded Italy. We saw an explosion of interest for Italian wines because they didn't have that tariff. Yeah. And yeah. also an explosion of interest for Champagne because sparkling wine was excluded. So those two regions have actually been the top performing regions of the past two, three years. You know, they've had like 14, 15% annualized returns.
0: Okay. Uh, and then I was wondering as well, you know. Let's say you invest, uh, whether through you or to um, an institution, a bank, you, you invest, you put $10,000, dollars, euros or more, and then you get, you wait for 20, 30 years and you say, look, now what happens? Uh, it has appreciated. How do you do it? You, you just sell it and that's it on an auctions or by the bank or by a broker. How, how does that work? How do, how do you get your profits?
1: Yeah, so those are all options where you can get liquidity, right? You can sell, uh, get the help of a wine broker, get Mm -hmm. the help of an auction house, or you can be able to sell it to another investor or collector or, um, you know, wine retailer, high end wine restaurant. Those are all avenues for liquidity um, because, you know, as as an investor, you don't really care who you sell it to, right? Whether they want to drink it or whether (laughs) they want to resell it, as long as you get the highest price, that's what should make you happy. Um, And luckily, you have that consumption side of the market that can help a lot. And that's that's usually who you sell to after, say, 10, 20 years of investment.
0: Okay. And in your experience, are there people who say buy some of the wines and they say, well, look, uh, actually, it would be a shame uh, not to to test it, to try it. So are there people who who just uh, say, look, uh, I'll keep a bottle to myself and then it's a Maybe less return on investment, but okay. With the rest, uh, it doesn't matter too much. But at least I will have both. So both the enjoyment on a small scale, and then the the profits.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, that's really what um, what I started doing in the beginning because I was <laughs> yeah. like, you know, drinking drinking nice wine is a pretty expensive hobby, right? Yeah. Um, how can I offset some of those costs? So say if I bought ten cases of wine, you know, ten years later, it's you know, it's doubled or tripled in value, right? I could probably sell off five cases and with my profits, it's pretty much like I'm drinking nice wine for free. So I think for a lot of wine collectors and wine investors, it's it's a combination of both passion and profit. Mm-hmm. And then there are other more disciplined investors who are treating this purely as an investment and want to sell it all.
0: And, and then maybe a, a question on uh, taxes. It's a bit boring topic, but I think it needs to be addressed. Are there any specific tax rules for this asset class for wine? Yeah,
1: so there's actually quite a few interesting tax laws in the wine world, especially for UK and and EU investors, because actually in most European countries, wine is considered what's called a wasting asset, Mm -hmm. which, you know, since it is technically has a time where it does go bad, it's considered a depreciating asset. So. Actually, there are no capital gains on the purchase and sale of a wine within a certain amount. And that amount ranges per country. But, you know, say if you bought something for $1,000 a bottle and then you sold it for $5,000 a bottle 10 years later, um, you wouldn't have to pay any tax on that. And you have similar laws that you can see in in parts of Asia as well, like Hong Kong and Singapore, which is why those two um, are actually very, very major hubs for for Wine investment um, in the United States, wine is considered a collectible, so it is subject to the collectibles tax, which ranges on your your income bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think especially with any investment taxation and you know any sort of taxation benefits are extremely important to consider because that really affects your bottom line as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. So but that's good news for us then. I mean uh, I, I will need to do research. For myself, for in Luxembourg or Belgium, and maybe for the listeners, just to see what the rules are. But yeah, if it's uh, no tax on capital gains, if it's held more than than a year or a, a certain period, that's uh, quite interesting. I mean, yeah, it makes absolutely. it more worthwhile to to dig into it. And then, of course, Vinovest. Uh, let's go through through that because you're making it um, you're making it available for us too. So not only for rich people. I mean, this is what I thought, and the. I read about investing in wine, I think, at university, I think we read a text on it. But, you know, I never thought about it because I was like, yeah, OK, it's for uh, wealthy individuals. But then uh, here you come, Vinovest. So, yeah. Can you explain a bit how, how you help us then uh, invest in wine?
1: Absolutely. So we are really designed for somebody who is just starting to uh, be curious about alternative assets and investing in wine. So. Um, you really don't need anything about wine investing to get started. What we need to know from you is just your basic financial goals. So how much do you want to invest? How long do you want to invest for? And also your risk appetite. And based on those factors, we have an algorithm that can then be able to build you a starter portfolio of wines. In the background, we handle all the physical logistics. So from the acquisition of the wines, from storing the wines, inspecting them for a condition, and then the insurance of the wines, so that it's fully protected. Mm-hmm. And then on your dashboard, you just get to see them and track prices and manage your portfolio like it were any sort of online investment or stock. And we also give you um, recommendations on when to buy and when to sell into the future so that portfolio is actively managed. Mm-hmm. So we really want to recreate an experience that is very, very, um, I think, familiar to people now and, you know the age of a lot of online investing apps and doing that to something like, fine wine, which most people haven't been able to access.
0: Okay, Anthony. And then you, you mentioned, okay, it's kind of a robo-advisor. Uh, I mean, uh, when I think of wine, I see specialists, sommeliers, and all this kind of people. So, so um, uh, is it not too automated for, for the general uh, public?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because, um, you know, although we do take a data-first approach, right? there mm-hmm. are things that impact wine past just somebody's personal preference, right? So there's things like critic scores, there's things like supply and demand, there's things like, you know, analyzing harvest reports and satellite data. But on the other hand, there are things that, you know, a computer model cannot be able to predict, right? Things like, you know, a 25% tax on a country or things like a winemaker leaving to go start his or her own new winery or maybe Mm -hmm. a change of ownership at a winery. So that's why we do have, you know, an expert advisory council of these Include people who have been master sommeliers. These include people who have been wine directors at three Michelin restaurants. So we do have a human component that helps us inform and improve our strategy. So we have that kind of mix between the AI modeling and the human power as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, that's very good. And um, I was just wondering myself, which have been, for example, the best returning or the best appreciating wine types uh, recently?
1: So I would say in the last last two three years, it's really been uh, high end Burgundy. So, you know, you're looking at producers like Domaine Leroy you You're looking at DRC, um, and then actually a lot of Italian producers. So both mm-hmm. ones from Tuscany and ones from Piedmont, because I think they started out at a much more accessible price point, and especially with the tariffs on a lot of the French wines, I think that's helped shift the global attention more to Italian wines. Um, And then those are the two most exciting trends that we've seen in the past couple of years.
0: Okay, very good. Uh, And one thing is, let's say I want to start investing with VinoVest. Of course, I need to do my research. I can follow the the advice, Uh, I can then decide for myself if I want to invest in. But have there been, I mean, you're quite young platform, so have there been some, not incidents, but Investments that didn't go through or something, some issues, or uh, I hope that most of them go well. Of course, over long over the long haul. But has has there been any? Yeah, maybe lesser investments.
1: Absolutely. So I think you know we are still definitely a platform trying to improve, right? Um, and especially given that wine is a pretty long term asset class. Yeah. We only have you know a couple of years of data to go after, but. Um, looking at our customers, actually, over 96% of them are having a positive return on their investment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not to say that like we are the best wine investment company in the world. Obviously, that's a pretty good track record. But another thing about the asset class is that it's relatively stable, right? As long as you are picking wine at a good price and having patience, it's pretty hard for the value of the wine to go down, um, especially like down to a point where it's like losing Half of the value or a third of the value. So, um, you know, with us, we definitely believe that we can build a pretty large, sustainable company. Um, treat this as a long-term master class, treat this as uh, a good part of diversification and uh being able to counter volatility in somebody's you know overall stock portfolio or say if they have any other riskier investments. Um so I think it's all about the expectations and being able to help educate our investors on what to be able to. You know, look forward to in their investment. I think that's really our goal in terms of aligning those and making sure we deliver a great experience.
0: Okay, very good. And then, of course, we talked about taxation, and it's it seems very interesting for us in Europe that your platform. I mean, you're obviously from the U.S. Is the platform open to anybody?
1: Absolutely. So we're open worldwide. mine is a global business, and so are we. So anybody from any country can invest as long as you are of legal drinking age and can purchase alcohol. So <laughs> that, that is the only caveat I'll I'll tell to maybe some of our younger listeners.
0: Okay, but that's very good. That's uh, that's excellent. That's great to hear. So I might consider it myself, uh, but I need to do some of my research. Huh? I mean, I need to do that as well. Because, yeah, then it's interesting because I think, uh, what is the minimum investment? Uh, you said $1,000 or? Uh...
1: Correct. Yeah, so minimum starts at $1,000.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but then it makes it accessible at least for, uh, uh, let's say, middle class. Uh, because then a thousand or two thousand, okay, maybe it's it's nice to dip your feet into, and then you to dip your toes into, as you say, not your feet, and then to to see if it's it, if it's something for you. But of course, you need to do your research and then see if it's uh, if it's the right the right moment and the right investment for you. Because as you say, it's long term, so it's not uh, like. If you need the money in two years, maybe it's not, uh, wine is not for you.
1: Absolutely. I agree. I'd say take at least a five year approach. Most of our um, investors are probably like looking at between like five and 15 years. And I think it's also about people on what they want in their portfolio, right? Like they are looking for that stable long-term thing to add as diversification. That is definitely for you. Um, if you don't own any stocks at all and you're just starting, like maybe don't have wine be the first thing you invest in, right? So it's totally, I think, do your own research, see how you want to plan for yourself financially. And if you think wine can be a good fit, we would definitely welcome you.
0: Okay, very good, Anthony. So, yeah, Anthony, thank you uh, for uh, sharing uh, some great tips and some uh, great information on investing in wine and as well presenting your company. I think it's quite interesting. It was a uh, at least for me, it was. And I think for some listeners looking at diversifying their portfolio, it's very uh, useful. And uh, Anthony, before I let you go, uh, as you may know, we always have our three quick fire questions at the end of the show. So um, are you ready for it?
1: Absolutely. Hit me.
0: Okay, great. Actually, it will be four. I have a fourth one for you. So uh, first one, what has been your best investment so far? I would
1: say my best investment has been the twenty fifteen vintage of Sasakaya. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get it, you know, at release and then actually a few months after release, it was named the wine spectator number one wine in the world. So um, you know, things like that definitely boost the price. Yeah. Um and it rose almost almost thirty percent overnight and now it's more than two times its value in you know, just a year and a half. So that's definitely been the best performing investment to date.
0: Okay, excellent. And then second question, what is a a book you can recommend to anyone and it does not need to be related to uh, investing or uh, finance?
1: I think my favorite book is Zero to One. It's by Peter Thiel. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that is just really, really important for someone who, um, like my position, you know, started a business from scratch, right? It really tells you about the mentality of how you can create something out of nothing. And, uh, it's one of my favorite books.
0: Yeah. I can see how it uh, fits your profile indeed. <laughs> okay. Excellent. And then the third question, uh, what is a purchase that you've made, uh, an excellent purchase you can recommend for under a hundred dollars?
1: I would say, um, best purchase for under a hundred dollars has been the Coravin. So it's something that you can, uh, basically put into a wine bottle, and pour a glass out without actually damaging the cork. So you can save wine for much longer. So say if you wanted to test out an old bottle of wine, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to open the whole thing or maybe you want to save it for later, you can pour yourself a glass, taste it, and say a year later, pour yourself another glass. Um, And that has been awesome uh, for me, especially if I want to try a new wine and I don't want to open the entire bottle um, it's it's the perfect tool.
0: Oh, ah, okay, excellent. I might look into that as well. <laughs> and then the fourth question I need to ask you, uh, Anthony: What is your favorite wines? I mean, what wines do you like? Do, do you enjoy drinking?
1: Oh boy, that is uh, that's tough because it changes all the time. But I'd say um, recently I had a really delicious Chardonnay from Napa Valley. Um, mm-hmm. It was a winery called Maya Camas, and it's uh, it was in two thousand two Chardonnay. Um, so older, older Chardonnay has almost 20 years of age on it and it was just amazing. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of times white wine doesn't age as long as red wine, but this one definitely was still really, really beautiful. Had a lot of really amazing kind of like toasted, uh, like almond and like brioche and kind of richer characteristics. And it still had a lot of that, um, I think really great acidity and lemon and apple notes that. You're, you kind of expect with white wine that makes it really refreshing. And that was you know just very, very surprisingly good. And um, one that definitely is the, the best wine I've had recently.
0: Okay, excellent. And then Anthony, of course, the listeners can find you uh, on the website uh, vinovest.com. Uh, but do you also have um, social media accounts where people can find you or ask uh, you questions?
1: Absolutely. So I I try to be pretty accessible on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So my handle is Anthony underscore J underscore Z H A N G. So that's just my first name, middle initial, and my last name. Mm -hmm. And feel free to tweet at me, anything like that. I'll try to respond to everybody.
0: Okay. Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, Anthony, I think uh, that was great. I enjoyed learning more about investing in wine. So thank you very much for being here.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your time.
0: I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something from it. And if you found it useful, please make sure you share it with a friend. And you can also rate the show in your favorite podcast app. This will help the show to grow. So if you do so, thank you very much. And as usual, before we head off, let's go through the key takeaways for today. Number one, investing in wine. Investing in wine has returned 10 to 12% annually. And you can find all that information by looking at the LiveX index. I've uh, linked it in the show notes. There is a decreasing supply and increasing demand. It is uncorrelated to the markets. So from a fundamental standpoint, this investment makes sense. And this is what uh, drove Anthony to start his company. And actually, it can be for you if you have a long time horizon. Most people invest 5 to 15 years. And those people usually are looking for stable long-term growth. So, it may not be for you yet if you're just starting out and you don't have a stock portfolio yet, for example. Number two, investing in wine can be intimidating, but like with stocks, start by looking at the big names, uh, the equivalent of the blue chip companies, the large companies like Microsoft. So, for investing in wine, that means looking at the big names like the Burgundy wines, for example. Stick with the famous regions with strong track records first, just like the big companies with the strong track record and healthy balance sheets. And in the second phase, then you can start looking at the equivalent of emerging markets. So look at uh, wines from Chile, New Zealand, uh, California, etc. Number three, what makes wine increase in value? Demand drives the market dynamics. Depending on the wine, the wine can reach a peak in 20, 30 years. And at that point, most people will sell it or drink it. (laughs) But as well, past its peak, it could become a collectible so it may not be for drinking but then people wanted to collect to to have a rare asset the ageability of a wine is important and then there's brand equity meaning the prestige the stories the marketing around the wine i mean this is maybe more applicable to champagne to have a relatable example Uh, number four important factors so yeah uh, anthony really insisted on the storage and insurance the condition in which you sell the wine is important as an example private residence storage will devalue the value of your assets so you're better off keeping it in a professional storage facility and then of course you need to take a look at the tax regulations where you live on how they classify uh, the wine investing in the show notes i've put some information on investing in wine for the uk belgium france and luxembourg i mean you still need to consult with a professional but this is what i found online and by asking some uh, tech specialist in luxembourg for example and last point for today what would be the best reason for me to invest in fine wines well that would be the possibility to drink some of it as well investing is indeed a way to drink exclusive wines for cheaper a perfect combination of passion and profit so why not